Welcome to the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Explained, confirmed, and vindicated by Dr. John Owen. We will be continuing to read from page 109 for this reading. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. Also, please consider, pray, and act upon the important truths found in the following quotation by Charles Spurgeon. As the Apostle says to Timothy, so also he says to everyone, Give yourselves to reading. He who will not use the thoughts of other men's brains proves that he has no brains of his own. You need to read. Renounce as much as you will all light literature, but study as much as possible sound theological works, especially the Puritanic writers and expositions of the Bible. The best way for you to spend your leisure is to be either reading or praying. And now, to SWRB's reading of the doctrine of justification by faith through the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, explained, confirmed, and vindicated, which we hope you will find to be a great blessing, and which we pray draws you nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. For He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man come unto the Father, but by Him. John 14, verse 6. Chapter 5. The distinction of a first and second justification examined. The continuation of justification whereon it does depend. Distinction of a first and second justification. The whole doctrine of the Roman Church concerning justification grounded on this distinction. The first justification, the nature and causes of it according unto the Romanists. The second justification, what it is in their sense. Solution of the seeming difference between Paul and James, falsely pretended by this distinction. The same distinction received by the Socinians and others. The latter termed by some the continuation of our justification. The distinction disproved. Justification considered either as unto its essence or its manifestation. The manifestation of it twofold, initial and final. Initial is either unto ourselves or others. No second justification hence ensues. Justification before God legal and evangelical. Their distinct natures. The distinction mentioned derogatory to the merit of Christ. More in it ascribed unto ourselves than unto the blood of Christ in our justification. The vanity of disputations to this purpose. All true justification overthrown by this distinction. No countenance given unto this justification in the scripture. The second justification not intended by the Apostle James. Evil of arbitrary distinctions. Our first justification so described in the scripture as to leave no room for a second. Of the continuation of our justification, whether it depend on faith alone or our personal righteousness inquired. Justification at once completed in all the causes and effects of it proved at large. Believers upon their justification obliged unto perfect obedience.
The commanding power of the law constitutes the nature of sin in them who are not obnoxious unto its curse. Future sins, in what sense remitted at our first justification? The continuation of actual pardon and thereby of a justified estate on what it does depend. Continuation of justification, the act of God, whereon it depends in that sense. On our part, it depends on faith alone. Nothing required hereunto but the application of righteousness imputed. The continuation of our justification is before God. That whereon the continuation of our justification depends, pleadable before God. This not our personal obedience proved. Number one, by the experience of all believers. Number two, testimonies of scripture. Number three, examples. The distinction mentioned rejected. Before we inquire immediately into the nature and causes of justification, there are some things yet previously to be considered that we may prevent all ambiguity and misunderstanding about the subject to be treated of. I say, therefore, that evangelical justification, which alone we plead about, is but one and is at once completed. About any other justification before God but one, we will not contend with any. Those who can find out another may, as they please, ascribe what they will unto it, or ascribe it unto what they will. Let us, therefore, consider what is offered of this nature. Those of the Roman Church do ground their whole doctrine of justification upon a distinction of a double justification, which they call the first and the second. The first justification, they say, is the infusion or the communication unto us of an inerrant principle or habit of grace or charity. Hereby, they say, original sin is extinguished and all habits of sin are expelled. This justification, they say, is by faith, the obedience and satisfaction of Christ being the only meritorious cause thereof. Only they dispute many things about preparations for it and dispositions unto it. Under those terms, the Council of Trent included the doctrine of the schoolmen about Meritum de Congruo, as both Hosius and Andradius confess in the defense of that council. And, as they are explained, they come much to one. However, the council warily avoided the name of merit with respect unto this their first justification. And the use of faith herein, which with them is no more but a general assent unto divine revelation, is to bear the principal part in these preparations. So that to be justified by faith, according unto them, is to have the mind prepared by this kind of believing to receive, non-English words, a habit of grace, expelling sin and making us acceptable unto God. For upon this believing, with those other duties of contrition and repentance which must accompany it, it is meet and congruous unto divine wisdom, goodness, and faithfulness to give us that grace whereby we are justified. And this, according unto them, is that justification whereof the Apostle Paul treats in his epistles, from the procurement whereof he excludes all the works of the law. The second justification is an effect or consequence whereof, and the proper formal cause thereof is good works, 
proceeding from this principle of grace and love. Hence, are they the righteousness wherewith believers are righteous before God, whereby they merit eternal life. The righteousness of works, they call it, and suppose it taught by the Apostle James. This they constantly affirm to make us non-English words, wherein they are followed by others. For this is the way that most of them take to salve the seeming repugnancy between the Apostles Paul and James. Paul, they say, treats of the first justification only, whence he excludes all works, for it is by faith in the manner before described. But James treats of the second justification, which is by good works, sobelar. And it is the express determination of those at Trent, session 6, caption 10. This distinction was coined unto no other end but to bring in confusion into the whole doctrine of the gospel. Justification through the free grace of God by faith in the blood of Christ is evacuated by it. Sanctification is turned into justification and corrupted by making the fruits of it meritorious. The whole nature of evangelical justification consisting in the gratuitous pardon of sin and the imputation of righteousness as the apostle expressly affirms and the declaration of a believing sinner to be righteous thereon as the word alone signifies is utterly defeated by it. Howbeit others have embraced this distinction also, though not absolutely in their sense. So do the Sassinians. Yea, it must be allowed, in some sense, by all that hold our inerrant righteousness to be the cause of, or to have any influence into, our justification before God. For they do allow of a justification which in order of nature is antecedent unto works truly gracious and evangelical. But consequential unto such works, there is a justification differing at least in degree, if not in nature and kind, upon the difference of its formal cause, which is our new obedience from the former. But they mostly say it is only the continuation of our justification, and the increase of it as to degrees, that they intend by it. And if they may be allowed to turn sanctification into justification, and to make a progress therein, or an increase thereof, either in the root or fruit, to be a new justification. They may make twenty justifications, as well as two, for aught I know. For therein the inward man is renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. And believers go from strength to strength, are changed from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 by the addition of one grace unto another in their exercise. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. And increasing with the increase of God, Colossians chapter 2, verse 19, do in all things grow up into him who is the head, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And if their justification consists herein, they are justified anew every day. I shall therefore do these two things. Number one, show that this distinction is both unscriptural and irrational. Number two, declare what is the continuation of our justification and whereon it does depend. Number one, justification by faith in the blood of Christ may be considered either as to the nature and essence of it or as into its manifestation and declaration. The manifestation of it is twofold. 
First, initial in this life. Second, solemn and complete at the day of judgment, whereof we shall treat afterwards. The manifestation of it in this life respects either the souls and consciences of them that are justified or others, that is, the church or the world. And each of these have the name of justification assigned unto them, though our real justification before God be always one and the same. But a man may be really justified before God and yet not have the evidence or assurance of it in his own mind. Wherefore, that evidence or assurance is not of another nature or essence of that faith whereby we are justified, nor does necessarily accompany our justification. But this manifestation of a man's own justification unto himself, although it depend on many special causes, which are not necessary unto his justification absolutely before God, is not a second justification when it is attained but only the application of the former unto his conscience by the Holy Ghost. There is also a manifestation of it with respect unto others, which in like manner depends on other causes. Then does our justification before God absolutely. Yet, it is not a second justification, for it depends wholly on the visible effects of that faith whereby we are justified, as the Apostle James instructs us. Yet, is it only one single justification before God, evidenced and declared unto His glory, the benefit of others, and increase of our own reward? There is also a twofold justification before God mentioned in the Scriptures. First, by the works of the law, Romans chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 5, verse 5, Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 19. Hereunto is required an absolute conformity unto the whole law of God in our natures, all the faculties of our souls, all the principles of our moral operations, with perfect actual obedience unto all its commands in all instances of duty, both before matter and manner. For he is cursed who continues not in all things that are written in the law to do them, and he that breaks any one commandment is guilty of the breach of the whole law. Hence, the apostle concludes that none can be justified by the law because all have sinned. Second, there is a justification by grace through faith in the blood of Christ, whereof we treat. And these ways of justification are contrary proceeding on terms directly contradictory, and cannot be made consistent with or subservient one to the other. But, as we shall manifest afterwards, the confounding of them both by mixing them together is that which is aimed at in this distinction of a first and second justification. But whatever respects it may have, that justification which we have before God in his sight through Jesus Christ, is but one, and at once full and complete. And this distinction is a vain and fond invention. For, parenthesis number one, as it is explained by the Papist, it is exceedingly derogatory to the merit of Christ, for it leaves it no effect towards us, but only the infusion of a habit of charity. When that is done, all that remains with respect unto our salvation, is to be wrought by ourselves. Christ has only merited the first grace for us, 
that we therewith and thereby may merit life eternal. The merit of Christ being confined in its effect unto the first justification, it has no immediate influence into any grace, privilege, mercy, or glory that follows thereon. But they are all effects of that second justification, which is purely by works. But this is openly contrary unto the whole tenor of Scripture. For although there be an order of God's appointment, wherein we are to be made partakers of evangelical privileges in grace and glory, one before another, yet are they all of them the immediate effects of the death and obedience of Christ, who has obtained for us eternal redemption, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12, and is the author of eternal salvation unto all that do obey him, chapter 5 verse 9 having by one offering forever perfected them that are sanctified. And those who allow of a secondary, if not of a second, justification by our own inerrant personal righteousness are also guilty hereof, though not in the same degree with them. For whereas they ascribe unto it our equipment from all charge of sin after the first justification, and a righteousness accepted in judgment, in the judgment of God, as if it were complete and perfect, whereon depends our final absolution and reward. It is evident that the immediate efficacy of the satisfaction and merit of Christ has its bounds assigned unto it in the first justification, which, whether it be taught in the scripture or no, we shall afterward inquire. Parentheses number two. More by this distinction is ascribed unto ourselves, working by virtue of inerrant grace, as unto the merit and procurement of spiritual and eternal good, than unto the blood of Christ. For that only procures the first grace and justification for us. Thereof alone it is the meritorious cause, or, as others express it, we are made partakers of the effects of it in the pardon of sins past. But, by virtue of this grace, we do ourselves obtain, procure, or merit another, a second, a complete justification, the continuance of the favor of God and all the fruits of it with life eternal and glory. So do our works, at least, perfect and complete the merit of Christ, without which it is imperfect. And those who assign the continuation of our justification, wherein all the effects of divine favor and grace are contained unto our own personal righteousness, as also final justification before God, as the pleadable cause of it, do follow their steps unto the best of my understanding. But such things as these may be disputed. In debates of which kind it is incredible almost what influence on the minds of men Traditions, prejudices, subtlety of invention, and arguing do obtain to divert them from real thoughts of the things about which they contend with respect unto themselves and their own condition. If by any means such persons can be called home to themselves and find leisure to think how and by what means they shall come to appear before the high God to be freed from the sentence of the law and the curse due to sin, to have a pleadable righteousness at the judgment seat of God before which they stand, especially 
if a real sense of these things be implanted on their minds by the convincing power of the Holy Ghost, all their subtle arguments and pleas for the mighty efficacy of their own personal righteousness will sink in their minds like the water at the return of the tide and leave nothing but mud and defilement behind them. Parentheses number three. This distinction of two justifications as used and improved by those of the Roman Church leaves us indeed no justification at all. Something there is in the branches of it of sanctification but of justification nothing at all. Their first justification in the infusion of a habit or principle of grace unto the expulsion of all habits of sin is sanctification and nothing else. And we never did contend that our justification in such a sense, if any will take it in such a sense, does consist in the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. And this justification, if any will need to call it so, is capable of degrees, both of the increase in itself and of the increase of its fruits, as was newly declared. But, not only to call this our justification, with a general respect unto the notion of the word as a making of us personally and inherently righteous, but to plead that this is the justification through faith by the blood of Christ declared in the scripture is to exclude the only true evangelical justification from any place in religion. The second branch of the distinction has made it like unto justification by the law, but nothing of that which is declared in the gospel. So that this distinction, instead of coining us two justifications, according to the gospel, has left us none at all. For parentheses number four, there is no countenance given unto this distinction in the scripture. There is indeed mention therein, as we observed before, of a double justification. The one by the law, the other according unto the gospel. But that either of these should, on any account, be sub-distinguished into a first and second of the same kind, that is, either according unto the law or the gospel, there is nothing in the scripture to intimate. For this second justification is no way applicable unto what the Apostle James discourses on that subject. He treats of justification, but speaks not one word of an increase of it or addition unto it of a first or second. Besides, he speaks expressly of him that boasts of faith, which, being without works, is a dead faith. But he who has the first justification by the confession of our adversaries has a true living faith formed and enlivened by charity. And he uses the same testimony concerning the justification of Abraham that Paul does, and, therefore, does not intend another but the same, though in a diverse respect. Nor does any believer learn the least of it in his own experience, nor, without a design to serve a farther turn, would it ever have entered the minds of sober men on the reading of Scripture. And it is the bane of spiritual truth for men in the pretended declaration of it to coin arbitrary distinctions without Scripture ground for them, and obtrude them as belonging unto the doctrine they treat of. 
They serve unto no other end or purpose, but only to lead the minds of men from the substance of what they ought to attend unto, and to engage all sorts of persons in endless strifes and contentions. If the authors of this distinction would but go over the places in the scripture where mention is made of our justification before God, and make a distribution of them unto the respective parts of their distinction, they would quickly find themselves at an unbelievable loss. Parentheses number 5. There is that in the scripture ascribed unto our first justification, if they will needs call it so, as leaves no room for their second feigned justification. For the sole foundation and pretense of this distinction is a denial of those things to belong unto our justification by the blood of Christ, which the scripture expressly assigns unto it. Let us take out some instances of what belongs unto the first, and we shall quickly see how little it is, yea, that there is nothing left for the pretended second justification. For, brackets number one, therein do we receive the complete pardon and forgiveness of our sins. Romans chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 32. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Brackets number two. Thereby are we made righteous. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 10, verse 4. And, brackets three, are we freed from condemnation, judgment, and death. John chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 19. Chapter 5, verse 25. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Brackets number 4. Are reconciled unto God. Romans chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And, brackets number 5, have peace unto him and access into the favor wherein we stand by grace, with the advantages and consolations that depend thereon in a sense of his love. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. And, brackets number 6, we have adoption therewithal, and all its privileges. John chapter 1, verse 12. And, in particular, brackets number 7, a right and title unto the whole inheritance of glory. Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. And, brackets number 8, hereon eternal life does follow. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Chapter 6, verse 23. Which things will be again immediately spoken unto upon another occasion. And, if there be anything now left for their second justification to do, as such, let them take it as their own. These things are all of them ours, or do belong unto that one justification, which we do assert. Wherefore, it is evident that either the first justification overthrows the second, rendering it needless, or the second destroys the first, by taking away what essentially belongs unto it. We must, therefore, part with one or the other, for consistent they are not. But that which gives countenance unto the fiction and artifice of this distinction, and a great many more, is a dislike of the doctrine of the grace of God, and justification from thence, by faith in the blood of Christ. 
which some endeavor hereby to send out of the way upon a pretended sleeveless errand, whilst they dress up their own righteousness in its robes and exalt it into the room and dignity thereof. This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, CDs, and much more, at great discounts, are on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, AB, Canada, T6L3. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. If you do have a web connection and would like to be added to our email list, please send an email to add at swrb.com or swrb at swrb.com with the word add in the subject line. SWRB's email list is a double opt-in list, so once you've sent us your email address, you'll be asked by email to confirm that you want to join our list using the email address you have supplied. Your email information will be kept confidential, and you can easily remove yourself from our email list by simply emailing us at swrb at swrb.com with the word remove in the subject line. Once you are on our email list, you will be alerted to all the free Reformation resources, free MP3s, free electronic books and texts, etc., that SWRB makes available on the web, as well as, at times, to our best discounts and super specials. We also encourage you to reproduce this audio resource and to pass it on to your friends. But we only authorize this as long as the full contents of the message including the header and trailer, is not altered in any way, and as long as the audio file or cassette is given away for free. Thank you again for listening to this SWRB reading. And remember that Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 states, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 concludes, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you.